Man, can I tell you this morning, I love your pastor. <laughs> I know that you love your pastor too, but man, I love your pastor. And I had the joy of being on staff with him at Crossgates Baptist Church in Brandon, Mississippi for several years. And the day that Nelson came on staff at Crossgates was one of the best days in the life of our church. And the day that he left, man, was such, such a bad day for us but such a great day for you, right? Such an incredible day for you, man. We miss him and love him greatly, but I'm so thankful for this body of believers uh, that is rising up in Morris, Alabama to declare the goodness of God and the name of Jesus in this community and among the nations. And uh, so, so uh, we thank you for your pastor. And man, I miss getting to see his smiling face today. Uh, wish he was here so that we could give him a big old hug, but pray for your pastor. Man, he and his wife, Kathy, uh, have a few days away uh, to try to rest a little bit and to rejuvenate. So pray for your pastor and his wife while they're out. And I know that you'll be looking forward to when they're back. Now, today is a big day for a number of reasons, isn't it? I mean, of course, with it being 9-11, it's a big day in our nation, but it's also a big day for this church, right? And so do we, do we have any first responders here this morning? Is there anyone here this morning that serves as a first responder? Man, we just want to honor those first responders today and the way that they sacrifice with their lives day in and day out uh, to make sure that we're provided for, to make sure that we're cared for. And look, at the end of the service today, we're going to pray for our first responders because not only do we want to pray over them physically as, as their physical leaders in our communities, but we want to pray over our first responders spiritually as well, that they would be spiritual leaders in our community. Man, they have direct impact on people's lives, and what a great opportunity to not only rescue lives physically, but to also rescue lives spiritually uh, through the platform platform that God has given them and through the gifts that God has given them. So along with uh, honoring our first responders today, man, this is a big day in the life of this church, right? 9-11 is the anniversary of this church, and I believe this is the five-year anniversary of this church. Five years. Do you know that there are so many new church plants that never see five years? They get started, and in a period of a couple of years or a few years, uh, everything's just kind of crumbled and fallen apart. So to be able to be here today celebrating five years, man, is truly a testimony of God's faithfulness, isn't it? So, man, can, this morning, can we just thank God for what he has done in this body and through this body? Man, not only for the pastor that he has given you, but, but for you as well, who are members of this body and are seeing kingdom work move forward. Man, it's something to truly celebrate. Five years, so happy anniversary. And man, I'm excited to be able to celebrate this five-year anniversary with you guys today. And uh, so thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, look, on anniversaries, obviously it's a time that we reflect on things. And, and, and here's what I want us to do today. On the five-year anniversary of this church, what I want us to look back on is... What is most important? What's most important? Um, I've been on staff at Crossgates for almost 13 years now, and it, it's a wonderful church, and, and God is doing great things there. But I can tell you, even as a staff member of a church, that as you get to, to, to doing things in the kingdom of God, you've experienced this as well, as you get to doing things in the kingdom of God, sometimes it's very easy to look fo lose focus on what's most important. Man, we get into the details of what has to be done. Uh, man, PowerPoints have to be put together. Songs have to be practiced, right? Chairs have to be put in place. Fellowship hall has to be set up uh, for a baby shower, for other things that are going on. Coffee needs to be made. Uh, kids need to be taken care of. Man, in the middle of all the things that need to be done, sometimes it's super easy to look fo lose focus on really what is most important. And so today on this five-year anniversary, man, I want to go back to the very thing uh, that, that caused this church to be birthed. 
I want to go back to the very thing that, that allows this church to continue to live today and to move forward in kingdom work. I want to go back to that thing that allows each one of us to have life in the kingdom of God and to be able to serve in the kingdom of God, and that's the crucifixion of Christ. When we look and say, what is most important, man, it is the crucifixion of Christ. And I know some of you are thinking, hey, what, what about the resurrection? We're going to get there, right? But you've got to have crucifixion before you have resurrection, right? What about the incarnation? Absolutely, but the incarnation had to happen for the crucifixion to occur. So today we're going to really focus in on the crucifixion of Christ and what all took place there. Now I know typically when we talk about the crucifixion of Christ, it's Easter or it's some big evangelistic service. But today for us as the body of Christ, man, it's important as followers of him to go back to what's most important, to be reminded of what our foundation is built on. The church wouldn't exist without the crucifixion of Christ, right? The Holy Spirit would not have been poured out without the crucifixion of Christ, poured out on all believers. Everything comes back to the crucifixion of Christ. And so that's where I want us to camp out this morning, to go back to this most important point, because it's the very thing that this church was birthed on, and it will be the very thing that this church moves forward on. Five years from now, the most important thing is going to be the crucifixion of Christ. Fifty years from now, for this church, the most important thing is going to be the crucifixion of Christ. And so I want us to camp out there this morning to be reminded of some things, but also to be encouraged of some things because through his crucifixion, there is so much that Christ desires to do in us and through us. And so it's important that we remain on the foundation of this most important part, the crucifixion of Christ. Now we're all familiar with, with his crucifixion and the events that took place around him being crucified. We know that Jesus was falsely accused, right? that he was betrayed by Judas, that he was handed over to the authorities, and that he was falsely accused. There were false charges that were brought against him. And even though false charges were brought, um, those charges weren't waived, right? There were false witnesses that came alongside to testify falsely against Christ, to, to have him in trouble, to have him in trouble with the authorities, to try to stop the momentum that was moving forward through his life. And through these false charges and these false witnesses, these false accusations, Christ was sentenced to death. He was sentenced to death. Here's what's peculiar. Christ never fought it. Hey, Jesus, what do you have to say for yourself? He never fought it because he knew it was the plan. And even though it was done under false pretenses of other people who were bringing these false accusations, Jesus knew that this was the plan for the redemption of the world and the birth of the church and the advancement of the kingdom. And so he stepped right into it and allowed it to happen. It was God's plan for him. And so we know that the preparations began being made for Jesus to be crucified, but there was a lot that happened before he ever went to the cross, wasn't there? As we read through the accounts of the crucifixion, it's, it's included in all four Gospels. What we find is that before he went to the cross, that he was severely beaten, right? His hands were bound together. His clothes were stripped off of him. Uh, there were two authorities that were placed on either side of them. Either, both of those authorities each had a weapon called a cat of nine tails. On the end of those leather straps on the cat of nine tails would have been uh, these metal balls that would have, that would have taken the flesh and, and tenderized it so that it could be torn apart. And then on other straps, there would have been shards of metal, of bone, of glass. And so as these metal balls were, were, were pounding his flesh and tenderizing it, there were these other sharp pieces 
Jesus that were literally digging into his flesh. And these authorities would take turns whipping Jesus on his back. One would whip him, and those pieces uh, of glass and, and clay and metal and bone would be ripped out of his back. And then the other guy would take his turn and slam it into Jesus' back, and he was beaten mercilessly. And the reality is that there were people who were going to be crucified who never made it past this point. The beating was so severe that for some people it actually brought death. But Jesus survived this point. So he was beaten, he was bloodied, he was bruised, his back was ripped to shreds, and then at that point he was expected to carry his own cross to Calvary. So we know that Jesus took the weight of the cross upon his shoulders and he began walking the road to Calvary, collapsed under the weight of that cross. Simon of Serene came on the scene, picked up the cross for Christ, and, and carried it the rest of the way. And then as he got to Calvary, he was nailed to the cross where he was raised up and where he was placed there to die. And over a period of hours, we know that Jesus would have struggled to breathe. He would have been in great pain. He would have continued to bleed. And there would come that final point where where there was nothing left. (laughs) There was no more fight to give. And his body gave way to death. And he died. And he died. And you can imagine that for his followers, um, even though Jesus had had told his followers that this was going to happen, he told them that, the, that this was going to happen, that, that he was going to be murdered. But he was also trying to tell them that on the third day that he would rise from the dead. But when you're sitting here in this moment and you're seeing your leader beaten and then killed on a cross, man, it doesn't give you much hope for three days later, does it? <laughs> if you're standing there in the moment and all they had ever seen before were those people who were killed on a cross placed in a tomb and they were left there, it's what they knew. You can imagine that his followers were standing there thinking, Man, what just happened? (laughs) Really, what just happened? Because this guy that we've given our lives over to, man, there he is. He's dead on a cross. And then, of course, his body was taken from the cross. It was wrapped in linens, placed in a tomb that was sealed. But fortunately for us, we know that the story doesn't end there, right? We know the story doesn't end there. And what his followers found out was that, hey, Jesus really was telling the truth, (laughs) Right, That three days later, he would be raised from the dead. And on that third day, he was raised back to life. And because of that, his followers could continue to follow him. Because of that, today, we can follow him. And so today, I want us to take time to look at at what happened through the crucifixion and because of the crucifixion. Because for most of us, when we think about the crucifixion, we're really just thinking about sins being washed away in salvation. And man, that is a huge part of it. And we're going to talk about that today as well, but that's not all of it. Jesus provided so much through his crucifixion that we as followers of him are able to cling to and walk in and believe in, in the power of his kingdom. And that's what I want us to dive into today. So with salvation being the primary thing that we think of with the crucifixion, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about atonement and what atonement means. Because when Christ went to the cross and when his, his blood was shed, he provided atonement for our sins. We know that we are all born as sinners. That when we are born into this world, we are born with this sinful nature. We are separated from God. We are sinners separated from him. But because of the cross of Christ, because of his shed blood, the penalty of sin is removed. Right? Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand that? That we all deserve death? 
Do you know that we walk through life and, and there's things that happen to us through life, things that we don't understand, things that we don't necessarily get, and there's oftentimes that, that we'll throw our hands up in the air and say, hey, we didn't ask for this, and even more, man, we didn't deserve this. Well, in human terms, maybe we didn't, but think of it in terms of spiritually, we deserve death. <laughs> we deserve the very worst because of our sinful nature. But in Christ, the penalty of sin is removed and death is taken away spiritually so that we can live forever in Christ. That penalty has been removed from us because of the crucifixion, because Christ took that penalty upon himself. That's why he didn't fight it when those came against him. And even though they were lying and bringing false charges, he didn't say, guys, we're not going to do this. He said, we have to do this. It's the only way for sins to be removed. It's the only way for the penalty to be taken away. It's the only way for him to be able to take sin upon himself, that he would die in our place to benefit us so that we may live. So that we may live. So that we may have life when Christ went to the cross. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 8, says this. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Let's think about that for a second. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't that we were worthy of it, right? It's not that we were deserving of it. We were sinners, lost in sin, dead in sin. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then it goes on to say much more then. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been sac- uh, reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Can we say hallelujah to this? That through Christ, we have now received the reconciliation. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, the wrath of God has been removed from us. That we no longer have to be eternally separated from him. And through that, that we now have life and have received reconciliation with the God who we were separated from. Born separated from God, but now born again, restored with God to him and to relationship with with him. That happened through the crucifixion. Hallelujah. Can we say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, that we are no longer walking in the wrath of God, but that we get to walk in the blessings of God. It's the goodness of God on display in the greatest form. We are reconciled to God through this atoning work of Jesus, through this atonement. And Jesus had to live this perfect life to become the sacrifice for us. That we know that it's Jesus Christ, as he was incarnated in this world, that he came and lived that life that was totally sinless. Never sinned, never lied, never murdered, never stole, never cheated. The list goes on and on. Those things that separate us from God, Jesus never did. He lived the perfect life. Why? So that he could become the final sacrifice. You do realize no other sacrifice is needed. It's Christ, and it's Christ alone period. His blood shed provides the atonement to be restored with God, period. No other sacrifice is needed. But Jesus had to suffer on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and his atonement provides for everything that we need as sinners. Everything that we need. We deserve to die for the penalty of sin, but because Christ was sacrificed, he died in our place for us so that we wouldn't have to. 
right? And furthermore, so that we wouldn't have to continue sacrificing, sacrificing sheep, goats, birds, cows, like the old Levitical system called for, right? It's no longer needed. Christ has done it. We deserve to bear God's wrath against us, but because Jesus went to the cross in his death, he removed the wrath of God against us. He took the penalty of sin upon himself, the penalty that we deserved, and because of that, the wrath of God is removed. As sinners, we're separated from God because of our sins. But in his crucifixion, Jesus brings reconciliation. And as the wrath of God is removed, we're brought back into fellowship with God. That this morning, we can come before his throne of grace. And we can say, Lord, would you bring your presence? And he says, yes, yes, I want my presence to be with you. We have been reconciled with him. He desires to walk with us, to dwell with us, to commune with us. It's the goodness of God being displayed in our lives. And then as sinners, we are bondage, we are in bondage to Satan and the kingdom of darkness. But when Christ went to the cross and was crucified, he paid the ransom to redeem us. He broke the curse of sin and he broke the bondage to sin and to the kingdom of darkness in our lives. Do you realize that we have been moved out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light? And it's because of the crucifixion of Christ. And as Christ became this sacrifice for us, the transition was officially made from Old Testament law to New Testament grace. That we are no longer bound by law, but we are free in the grace of God. And that just makes me take a deep breath and exhale a sigh of relief, doesn't it? Man, we don't have to follow the letter of the law, but we get to walk in the freedom of grace that God gives us because Christ was sacrificed on our behalf. Now, all of this points to salvation, right? Which is amazing, which is a huge part of this crucifixion. But as if this were not enough, (laughs) there's more that comes through the crucifixion of Christ that we as his followers get to experience and walk in and be blessed by. And that's what I want to step into as we walk through the remainder of this morning. What are these additional things that Christ has provided through his crucifixion? Well, because of the crucifixion, there's resurrection. The crucifixion had to take place in order for the resurrection to happen. And what we find through the resurrection is that we receive spiritual power. The crucifixion had to happen for the resurrection to take place. And because of the resurrection, we as the followers of Christ receive spiritual power to walk in the kingdom of God. We are not left powerless. Jesus does not save us and call us into his kingdom and then dangle something out in front of us and say, hey, try to find your way there. He says, no, I'm going to give you power to fulfill everything that I've called you into. And it's because of the resurrection. The resurrection was the ultimate display of kingdom power because it gave proof that Jesus is the Messiah. It gave proof. Every other person who had died before Christ remained in a tomb. And I get it. I know Lazarus was called forward from a tomb. He was brought back to life. But you know what eventually happened to Lazarus again? He died again. And he remains in a tomb today. Jesus And giving the ultimate display of kingdom power was raised to life and remains alive. He is the only one who has ever been resurrected to remain in life forevermore. And it is the ultimate display showing that he is the Messiah. So he had to be crucified so that he could be resurrected. Resurrected to show the ultimate display of kingdom power. Proving that he is the Messiah, worthy to be trusted and worthy to be followed 
but then also to say, we know that his power can dwell in us. He is the all-powerful God, and he calls us to walk in the power that he releases in our life. Now, Paul, in Ephesians, connects the resurrection of Christ with the spiritual power that's at work in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working and the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly powers. And this power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is work within us. It is the power of the kingdom of God in the here and now that we get to experience as the followers of Christ. There is power to walk in him. There is power to live in him. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on what is or what is not happening in our lives at the time. If our eyes are focused on him and we are walking faithfully with him, he gives us power to live out everything that he calls us into. Now, he never promised that it was going to be easy, but he promised that he would give us the power that we needed to fulfill it. So when those times get rough, we have to bear down and believe. He is the resurrected Christ. He is the Messiah. Are we going to trust him and walk in the power that he gives to us? We have to say yes if we're going to see his kingdom advance. We're going to have to say yes if we're going to see everything fulfilled in our lives that he truly desires. But in his resurrection, he brings this power in the here and now. And this power brings victory over sin. It events his ministry in the kingdom of God. And it triumphs over the opposition of the enemy. Christ is supremely more powerful than the evil one. And the power that he gives us in the here and now because of the resurrection allows us to have that infinitely greater power to triumph over the enemy. It's Christ at work in us. Satan does not have to win through our lives. As followers of Christ, he wins when we allow him to win. Christ gives us power to overcome. But then Paul goes on to also show that we too will be resurrected. So here we have Christ who was resurrected and remains alive today, but also points to the fact that we too in his power will also be resurrected. Now we get it. If Christ doesn't return before these physical bodies give away, we will all physically die, right? We will all physically be buried. That will happen. But that's not the end for us, right? There's an eternity that awaits us, but there is also a resurrection in front of us where we too will be resurrected with Christ. We too will be resurrected with him. It's the power of his kingdom at work in us. It's what to come. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23, talks about Christ being the first fruits. And it says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That Jesus was resurrected as the first fruits. He was that first demonstration that resurrection life is real. But then Paul goes on to teach here that we will be able to walk in that resurrection life as well. That the first fruits that were displayed through Christ will also come to fruition in us. 
That in the proper order, that as Christ was uh, resurrected first, that we will be resurrected after him to walk in all eternity with him. He was resurrected first, and we will follow. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 and 14, uh, displays that we will be raised with Christ, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. It will happen. It's a promise from the word of God. Would not have happened without the crucifixion. Because of the crucifixion, we were able to have resurrection. Because of that resurrection, we have kingdom power at work in our lives. And we also have the promise of a resurrection that will be coming one day. What a promise. What a promise that God lays out before us. Because of the crucifixion and because of the resurrection and the ultimate ascension of Christ, what we have is greater access into God's presence. The crucifixion had to happen for us to have a greater access into God's presence. Now look, God in his goodness has always provided access to his presence. We can go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden, and who was there? God. His presence was there. He talked with Adam and Eve. He dwelt there with Adam and Eve. He made his presence known. And then as we walk through the Old Testament, man, we see God's presence on display among the Israelites as the, uh, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And then as the temple is, is constructed and we have the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant, and we see the very real presence of God dwelling with his people. Um, all the way through as we get to Psalm 139, and David is literally saying, where can I go to escape your presence? He's saying, God, you're everywhere. There's nowhere that I can go that you're not. He says, even if I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to the heights, you're there. God's presence is here and with his people. But there's something that happened through the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, that allowed an even greater access to the presence of God. In the incarnation of Christ, God gave his presence in a new way. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God the Son, Jesus, literally took on flesh to dwell among us. That was already a new way that he was revealing his presence. He was Emmanuel, God with us, the one who has come to dwell within us, and it shows that God is personal and that God desires to be known. He wants us to know him. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to walk with us. You know, there are other religions that say that God is far away and that he cannot be attained to, that he cannot be truly communicated with, that there's a barrier and that he's not here. Man, Jesus came to show, I am God with you. There's no barrier there. If you're a follower of Christ, man, he wants us to walk with him and dwell with him and experience his presence day by day and moment by moment. It's his grace through, through the incarnation of Christ that began this transition from the Old Testament law to the New Testament grace. And at the crucifixion, here's what we know, is that the curtain in the temple was torn. Right As we were walking through Old Testament law, here we have the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and really stand in the presence of God. But at the crucifixion of Christ, we have this whole scenario where the court curtain in the temple is torn, where there is no longer a barrier to the presence of God. Matthew 27, 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And this shows that there is new access into the presence of God because of the atoning death and sacrifice of Jesus. 
The curtain's no longer there. The veil's been taken away so that all who are followers and, and, and believers in God can step into his presence and know him and walk with him and dwell with him. And a priest was no longer needed to have access to God. A humanly priest. <laughs> right? Because we have Jesus, who is the ultimate priest, who has provided the access to God that we all need and that we all desire. He has done it as that ultimate priest. So the Old Testament sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ, and now Jews and Gentiles alike are able to approach the throne of grace and the presence of God because of the crucifixion of Christ and the veil being torn. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do you hear that? We can draw near. We can draw near. And not only can we, but God wants us to. He says, come to my throne of grace. Dwell at my throne of grace. Be near. So in the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, we find that as the, the veil is torn, this new access is given into the presence of God, we also receive the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Right? Talk about newness of presence of God for his people. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9 says, gathering them together, talking about the followers of Christ, uh, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And the promise is given, man, that the Holy Spirit is coming. The very real presence of God that would dwell not just around all believers, but would dwell within all believers. Talk about new access to the presence of God. Talk about a new revelation of the presence of God. And what do we find as we move into Acts chapter 2? That is, as, as, as Peter is preaching, as the believers had gathered together to pray, that then the tongues of fire descended upon the people, showing that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And what happened? The believers were filled with the Spirit of God. They began speaking speaking in other tongues. People were hearing the gospel in their own language that had gathered together in Jerusalem for that particular feast and day of celebration. And it was on display that the Holy Spirit had indeed been poured out, that the promise that Jesus had given, that the Holy Spirit is coming, it's here, right? And it has remained since that time that anyone who will come to Christ and put their faith in him and trust in him and his atoning work, Jesus says, I will fill you with my Holy Spirit and you will have my presence not only with you, but my presence with within you, within you. That had not happened before in redemption history, but it happened in Acts chapter 2, and it continues to be played out in, in our day, in this church for today, for this community, for Morris, Alabama, and for the nations. Jesus has filled you with his Holy Spirit. He has filled me with his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 
whom you have from God and that you are not your own. Again, the Old Testament temple taken away. The temple is no longer a building or a structure or a tent. It's us. (laughs) And the presence of God has come to dwell within us. It would not have happened without the crucifixion. The crucifixion had to happen for this greater access into God's presence. So here we see that we have atonement. We have spiritual power that is given. We have have God's presence that is given in an even greater way. And in that, our prayers become effective and accomplish much. Because of the crucifixion, our prayers become effective and accomplish much. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. (laughs) Another translation puts it this way. Instead of saying can accomplish much, it says, It's powerful to a great degree. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful to a great degree. Is that encouraging this morning? Man, it's encouraging to me because sometimes when I come to God in prayer, I'm thinking, God, do you really hear me? Right? You've been there before? You understand what I'm talking about? That you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been waiting for an answer. You've been looking for God to move in a particular situation. And so far, maybe you haven't seen anything and you're thinking, God, can you really hear me? God, do my prayers really matter? God says, yes. That if you are born again, that you have been declared as righteous and your prayers are powerful to accomplish much. Be encouraged with that today because you may not see the answer to your prayer today but the answer is coming, and God is going to work it in his timing. But your prayers are powerful to accomplish much. Man, I have prayers that I've been praying for years that I've not yet seen the answer to, but you know what? I know that God hears me because he has declared me as righteousness, and he says that my prayers are able to accomplish much. And then there's other times, and you've seen this too, that you've prayed, and it's almost been like instantly it's been answered, right? And you're like, wow, God, did you really just do that? He's like, yes, I did. Didn't I tell you? (laughs) Didn't I tell you? Your prayers are powerful to accomplish much. Why? Because we've been declared righteous. It's the prayers of the righteous that can accomplish much, that are powerful to a great degree. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord with my soul. My soul will exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So in that moment that we were clothed in salvation, we were also wrapped in a robe of righteousness. And God looks at us and says, you are righteous. It's no longer a question of can we be righteous. He says, you are righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Through Christ, we have become righteous. And because of that, we have prayers that are powerful to a great degree and can accomplish much. Now James said, looking back at that verse in James chapter 5, it says that it's the prayers of the righteous that are powerful to a great degree, right? And it's through the crucifixion of Christ that we are able to receive the righteousness of Christ. 
When Christ clothed us with his garments of salvation, he wrapped us in that righteous, declaring us righteous so that our prayers are powerful to a great degree. Be encouraged by that today. Man, prayer is critical. And as, as fellow believers, as we gather together to pray, and as you pray over your church, as you pray over your pastor, as you pray for each other, as you pray for yourself, as you pray for your community, as you pray for the nations, you are praying as one who has been made righteous, and God hears you, and he is responding. And your prayers are powerful to a great degree and can accomplish much. But I love that, as God always does, he always takes it further, <laughs> right? God always takes what we know and what we understand, and he always takes it further. Because in addition to us being made righteous, Jesus is also our mediator. So as we look at this whole reality of prayer, Jesus is our mediator. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And listen to what this mediator does for us. Romans 8.34, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also interceded for us. <laughs> so even as we're praying, as we're calling out to Jesus, as we're calling out to God, Jesus, the mediator, is interceding for us. Want to know why the prayers of the righteous are powerful and can accomplish much? Because in the middle of everything that's going on, Jesus is interceding for us. And not only that, but uh, Paul takes it a step further in Romans 8.26, and it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So here we have Jesus, the mediator, who is interceding for us, but we also have the Holy Spirit who was given to us because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. That very Spirit and the presence of God that dwells within us is also interceding on our behalf. So as we walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God, God is interceding for us. As we call out to God in prayer, God is interceding for us. As we serve to move forward in the kingdom of God, God is interceding for us. As we walk with our families and maybe with children who are walking through situations or taking care of elderly parents or taking care of difficult situations that can come up in the church, God is interceding for us. Not only are we crying out to the God who loves us, but he is praying for us as well. That is one of the most encouraging things that I read in all of Scripture, that the God who loves me also prays for me as I call out to him. And we wonder why the crucifixion is so important and so critical. Man, we have gained this access into the presence of God, and we have been robed in his righteousness that we can call out to him in prayer, and at the same time, he is praying for us. God is good. God is good. He is praying for us. So as we look at this atonement that Jesus has provided for us, the spiritual power that is poured out in the resurrection, God's presence that he gives to us in real ways and moving us into a place of having prayers that are effective as our God prays for us. In the middle of that, through the crucifixion, is what we find is that provision is also made for physical healing. 
right? As if all of this isn't enough already. Man, God keeps continuing to provide more and more and more. He says through the crucifixion, provision is also made for physical healing. What? Physical sickness came because of what? Sin. The fall, right? Before the fall in the Garden of Eden, there was no sickness. After the fall, sickness came into the world. And as humans, we have been struggling with sickness ever since, haven't we? Been struggling with it ever since. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of sin when he died on the cross. And because of that, the impact of sin is also affected. Now, don't get me wrong. We can't just run out of here today and go on sinning and expect everything to just be okay. I mean, there are still results of sin. There is still a price to be paid because of sin. But when our hearts are set on walking in holiness and in turning away from sin and truly living godly lives, and the impact of sin and is impacted in a great way, right? Death is removed from us, but then God also says, hey, there can also be physical healing. Because when the curse of sin is broken, the effects of sin are also impacted. Isaiah 53, a very familiar passage, but it talks about physical healing. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. By his scourging, literally the beating that he took before going to the cross. By his scourging, we are healed. Now, Scripture fleshes this out in two different ways. Talking about by his scourging, we are healed. It talks about both spiritual and physical healing that comes because of that. In 1 Peter 2.4, uh, Peter uses this passage uh, to point to salvation. Uh, but as we move to Matthew chapter 8, Matthew quotes this passage from Isaiah 53 in reference to physical healing. And it's quoted multiple times in reference to physical healing throughout uh, the New Testament. And we know that Christ dis- uh, demonstrated power for physical healing all throughout the New Testament, didn't he? And he made blind eyes see. He cured people of leprosy, literally brought the dead to life, made lame people walk again, right? So much that he did to display physical healing. And this gave evidence of kingdom power that validated his message. But it also showed us that now because of the crucifixion and what Christ has done, that we're encouraged to pray for healing and to believe that God still heals. The healing of Christ was not just for the time that he was here on earth, but it's for today as well. Both spiritual and physical healing. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Is there anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. And here James tells us, pray for healing. Man, we believe that Christ is healer. Right Back in the book of Exodus, it says that God is the healer. Christ gives evidence of healing as he walks here on earth. And then James here says, look, there's been provision in the crucifixion of Christ to pray for healing and to have faith to be able to believe that healing can still occur today. And after Christ ascended and the Holy Spirit was poured out on believers, healing was actually instituted as a spiritual gift. 
Now, we won't take time today to go to 1 Corinthians 12 and to read through everything that's there. But let me encourage you in this coming week, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, read verses 4 through 14, and it talks about the gifts of the Spirit that are given to believers today, and one of those gifts is the gift of healing. It is a gift of the Spirit that is poured out in believers today. So we have to trust Christ with that. So in the crucifixion, Christ bore the sin so that we would be redeemed from the curse of sin and its effects. And the wounds that he took on his body made provision for healing for us. Both spiritual healing and physical healing. And then, of course, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, it was instituted as a gift. So ultimately, what we find through all of this, as we look at the atonement, as we look at God's presence, as, as we look at, at physical healing and prayers being effective and God praying for us, what we find in the crucifixion is that Christ brings victory. Christ brings victory. Victory in his kingdom that declares his name, but also victory in our lives that we get to walk through. Here's the reality. There is a war between Jesus and his angels and Satan and his demons that continue in the heavenly places today. Right? Ephesians chapter 6 makes it very clear that there is a spiritual battle that is raging that we don't necessarily get to see um, with, with our physical eyes, but that we get to see played out in the physical realm. And there is this battle that is going on, and here's the reality. Sinners have been taken as captives of war. The bottom line, those who are blatantly living in sin have been taken as captives of war by Satan and his kingdom of darkness. Captives of war. But Jesus came to set the captives free. That there no longer has to be a captive of war, but there can be a free man, a free woman walking in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus has done. Now, Satan's not freely willing to give up those captives. <laughs> there's a battle, and we see it play out in people's lives. We've seen it played out in our own lives time and time again because there's no way for us to liberate ourselves from this captivity. But Jesus came as the triumphant warrior and the triumphant liberator to set the captives free. And that took place through the crucifixion. Listen to this, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Have forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. When Christ went to the cross and died, and three on the third day was raised from the dead, he made a public display of the kingdom of darkness. And you know what? He continues to make that public display of the kingdom of darkness through his church. Through Ingalls, Eagles Wings Church, through Crossgates Baptist Church, through his true believers that are walking on this earth, he continues to make a public display of the kingdom of darkness through us as we live faithfully with him. And what we find because of this, that we have been rescued from the domain of darkness, we have been brought into the kingdom of Christ, and we walk in the very victory that Christ has secured on our behalf. But it wouldn't have happened without the crucifixion. <laughs> wouldn't have happened without the crucifixion. So we come back to this central point in history of Christ coming so that we could know him.
dwelling among us as Emmanuel, God with us, showing that he truly is for us. Going to the cross in our place so that the power of sin could be broken and destroyed. Raised on the third day, giving spiritual power that we're able to walk in day by day. Allowing us great access not only in his presence, but great access as his presence dwells within us. And because of that, we can call on him and know that he hears us. And not only that, but he intercedes for us and he makes our prayers powerful and effective. And in the middle of that, he provides healing and he brings victory. That is what happened in the crucifixion of Christ. That is the most important thing that this church was founded on five years ago. And it's the very things that you continue to walk in today. So be encouraged that as you press forward in this community, as you press forward among the nations, that God is with you and he is for you. He has truly called you blessed and not cursed. And he has displayed his victory through you. And here's what I love. He's going to continue displaying his victory through you, right? Because that's who he is. And he is always going far beyond what we can think or ask or imagine. So how do you need for the crucifixion to be applied in your life today? And for you today, maybe maybe just a fresh reminder. I constantly have to be reminded of what happened with the crucifixion of Christ. It brings me back to what's most important and allows the other frivolous things to fall away, right? If a microphone's not in the right place, is it really a big deal? Heavens no, right? It can always be moved, right? Man, I didn't catch the traffic light. It was yellow, just turned red, my word. (laughs) What stream of words am I about to let out or does it really matter? Right? But then, as a church, as a church, in the ministries that you're engaged in, do all of those ministries come back to their foundation in the crucifixion of Christ? If yes, you're walking in kingdom power. If no, then it needs to be reevaluated, right? And I'm not only saying that for this church, I'm saying this for myself, our church, for the body of Christ as a whole. And so, Jesus, today, We thank you. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.